This is Bob Palmer, and you're listening to Zone Talk by Sport Excel, where the magic of the zone is a game changer. In every episode, we dive into the lives of high performers and learn their amazing strategies so that you can take leadership of your game, your team, and your life. Welcome, Jessica Zelinka, to Zone Talk. Jessica is a Canadian heptathlete, 100 meter hurdlers, and coach. She was the gold medalist at the 2007 Pan Am Games, silver in the 2010 Commonwealth Games, and repeated her silver medal at the 2014 Commonwealth Games. She finished fourth in the Olympic Games in Beijing, sixth in London. Between those two games, she gave birth to her daughter, Annika. Welcome, Jessica. Hello, Bob. Thanks for having me. I'll set the stage. London Olympics, name Jessica Ennis. What memories does that conjure up to you? Wow, those games were in, yeah, London and Jessica Ennis was the British, basically the face of the Olympics, the sweetheart of the Olympics. And the stadium um, was full, I think it was 80,000 people capacity stadium and the first event was the hurdles the 100 meter hurdles and that was my best event and Jessica Innes was like in my heat it was the fastest heat and the crowd was going go Jessica and I was like okay okay I can I can I can pretend they're cheering for me um but it was it was great it was the fastest race in the history of heptathlon 100 meter hurdles Jessica got me at the line and she got the Olympic record for the heptathlon in the hurdles, which was Jackie Joyner's Kersey's record, which she's been untouchable over the years. And I also got the record. So although I got a personal best and usually I'm really excited after that, I was like, come on, Jess, like, just give me something here. But yeah, she was an all-star that competition and she got the European record and it was really um, great to compete with her in London. Yeah. So how'd you deal with that moving on? How'd you get over that? What did you, uh, how'd you, I guess, pull yourself together to get rid of that self-talk? Well, I'm not sure if I quite did because my next event was the high jump. And there was so many circumstances that came into play um, that I knew I had the tools to deal with um, at the time. Since we were the last heat, the fastest heat, um, everyone was already at the high jump pits warming up. Our bags were not there. We need to change shoes, spikes, so we can't warm up until we get our spikes. So everyone's already going over the bars, got their marks down, and we're waiting for our bags. They're like, we'll have to escort you guys back to the uh, the change room to get your bags. They were put there instead by accident. So we walked all, it's a huge stadium, we walked all the way to the change room, bags weren't there. Walked all the way back, bags are there everyone's sitting down waiting for us to warm up. And um, so that was the one thing. And then I, my coach was there and he's like, Jess, why are you stressing out? I'm like, <laughs> I didn't think I was stressing out. I'm actually pretty fine. I don't need much of a warm up. And now we have the pits to ourselves and we can just like get it down and get going. Um, and then when it came time for me to start jumping, it started to rain and running and high jump, taking that sharp curve into the pit isn't the most ideal, but again, I've done it before. I've done it in my career many times since high school. Again, thought I was equipped. I ended up not competing well, and you know, maybe after the fact, realizing that I was, um, uh, I did get caught up in seeing myself as wanting to be in the zone, but not actually being in the zone. So I was like, no, I'm trying to convince myself instead of actually being in the zone. 
which is a very different thing. So you regrouped and <laughs> just about pulled it out of the ashes. I mean, uh, what did you do? How did you do that? What, what was your... I mean, what did you find? You must have had a talk with yourself and finally got yourself to the position where you started to excel in the other events. I did. With heptathlon, you really have to, and I learned this from you, um, Bob, in our sessions where you, you got to put the ha new hat on, right? So you go to hurdles, you have the high jump, I'm um, the hurdle hat on. Go to high jump. You're a high jumper now. You're not a heptathlete pretending to play high jump. You are a high jump. You physicalize that, you, you feel it, you are it. Next event is the opposite of high jump. It's shot put. It's strength. It's power. It's um, being as big as possible in the circle. And so for me, I just put the other hat on and I said, high jump's over with. We're going to shot put. And I'm going to bring all my resources I can to this event. And I know I can be very strong in this event. And then that event followed by 200, again, another strong event for me. I just was proud to put that hat on and just just went went for it. So, so the more you can let go in the heptathlon, the more you can actually like leave it behind and go into the new position, the new role, step into it. Um, the more by the end of the day you have, you feel not as drained. You have energy. You know, four days highly competitive events in a day where you warm up, cool down, compete, um, and then you have to compete again the next day. It's really important for a heptathlete to manage their energy. So the next day, they feel good starting the day. So winning is clearly important to you. And in many sports, um, they've taken that out of it. They just want it to be a skill thing. And, and for me, growing up, I love sport. Mm -hmm. I didn't win a lot, but I loved working at it and trying to win. And I think it saved my life in a sense that it, it gave me access to strategies I might not otherwise have yeah. um why why is winning so important to you how did how did you get into that well i i kind of got into it because uh, at a young age not every athlete has this experience but the the way i understood winning from a young age was that if i do my best i will win so i was kind of in that um the position where I knew that um, no one could touch me if I focused on doing my best. So it was a great place to be in because I didn't need to worry about the competitors. I didn't even look at them. I didn't even think about them. And I just focused on what I needed to do. And the results showed I'd always come first. Um, it would be a very different experience, Bob, than you would have had if you weren't good, right? So, but that was my, um, that's my relationship I had with winning. If I focus on doing my best, I will be up there in the top. So it sounds a bit like the zone to you. Oh, it's all the zone. <laughs> it's all the zone. It's focusing on you and your energy and what you're bringing there and being prepared to compete. And I love that, you know, when you get to a higher level and, you know, that no longer was a truth for me, it didn't mean I'd get first, but I'd still be at the top. I saw the competitors as they are there to bring my game up. I, uh, there's no way, there's no way I can compete and get the results of personal best or breakthrough performances without other competitive athletes. And to, to such an extent that my coach would actually not even put me in low level meets because I just perform very low, very low. Like I needed the excitement of like competing with people and knowing that they are bringing their best as well. There's nothing, there's nothing great about not competing with people that aren't bringing their best. There's something to that. Well said. Um, I know at that level, 
some people try to take an, get an advantage, and I always feel that working with an athlete gives them a, an advantage. But other athletes go to illegal means. And I know, you know, recently working with some uh, Olympians or, or want to be Olympians, uh, the meetings cancel at last minute because someone's come by for a urine test. Uh, so what what does testing mean to you, drug testing? Um, how did you deal with it? How did you deal with cheaters? Um, did it did it change the way you thought of the game? Yeah, I get that question a lot from people. Um, to me, it was just the norm, and I didn't really think too much about it. I really liked the Canadian system because they were very on top of their athletes. But as soon as a Canadian athlete goes and competes in the U.S. at a college, they're not under the same kind of um, standards I think the Canadian system is. So I felt proud to be Canadian that way and that even though they're waking me up at five o'clock in the morning when my baby's sleeping and I need to train that day and I'm not happy, (laughs) I I get it. Um, The other side to that is the athletes in other countries who are not not only not getting tested like that, the system is protecting them. And for me as an athlete and even my coach, you know, he was Eastern European and he's a bit skeptical skeptical about um some of the countries and the athletes for me i couldn't control that that was with that was outside my control so i i would really just i'd tell him sometimes like less i don't want to hear it i don't i don't care if you think this athlete's on drugs it's not going to help me when i line up against them at the start line me thinking they're on drugs is not going to help my performance so in that way i kept myself very naive to it very like didn't think about it didn't get um caught up in the drama and the funny thing is, on forums, especially like cycling forums around the Olympics, when the people start to pay attention, people were actually talking about me about like, oh, she she's on drugs, she must not get her period, she how could and they don't know my like I had a baby and everything, and I was shocked to see that because I take so much pride in doing things cleanly and um, just because my physique shows that I'm in great shape um, doesn't mean I'm taking drugs. So even though like athletes are clean, a lot of us are like a lot of, a lot of people think that we're all taking drugs, you know, like the whole Ben Johnson thing, like everyone in the finals was taking drugs as an athlete. I I couldn't believe that. I did not buy into that belief. I believe some of the best athletes I competed with, like Jess Innes and Carolyn Kloof over the years, they were clean. And I believe that then that's what kept me going, thinking I could be one of the best. So there is that person in the lane next to you who's got a reputation for, you know, cheating the system. I mean, besides just trying to block them out, what what was your strategy? How did how did you deal with that? Um, not only did they have a reputation, some athletes actually were caught doping and then they only had a two-year ban, so they came back. Um, so there was athletes who I knew had the reputation and have done it and still are benefiting from doing it even two years ago. Um, and I think the way I, again, like I just focused on myself. It did. I felt the, like the trigger, you know, seeing them and saying like, you shouldn't be here. You cheated. You shouldn't be here. Um, it does affect you. You can't just ignore that. Um, but going into it, I knew who I was going to compete against and knew they're going to show up again. And I knew my best was going to beat theirs, even if they were cheating. And there's something to that, like to be able to beat people who, who cheat, yeah. like, come on, can't get that. <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 
at this high level of uh, competition that you're at, uh, injuries happen. And I know you have a, a story about, you know, a, a plantar fasciitis or injury that you had that just, I mean, provoked you to even try work harder. Um, how did you deal with that kind of, of stuff happening all the time? Yeah. So all athletes deal with injuries and, you know, my major, my biggest injury was my torn ruptured plantar fascia the year before the, my first Olympic games. So I had not qualified for the 2004 Olympics, almost quit, was devastated, committed to another four years. I was still pretty young, um, and naive and, um, <laughs> thought it was supposed to be easy, I guess. And the year before I tore my plantar fascia. And at that point, I, it didn't phase me um, like it would have maybe in 2004. I knew I was going to be at the next Olympics. And I had to forget everything I had planned. I had a time in terms of the physical and focus on the things I could in the moment. So that was my rehab and re, uh, revamping a plan, focusing on the mental game of things. And that too, like when I'm competing against people who may be on drugs, like I it's not all physical. It's so much more than physical. So I, I know I can look at them and be like, well, I do other things that is like taking drugs. So, oh yeah. So, um, <laughs> but in terms of that, like there's so, uh, I think there still needs to be a major shift in the sporting world where there's so much focus still on the physical and not realizing how much can be done off the field um, that can enhance that, that can make all that like hard work less difficult, more um, in alignment to you as an athlete, more with flow and seeing results quicker. I, I remember one of your 100 meter hurdle races and right at the beginning you were in the zone, which I can tell, and you let out a, a, a key eye, like a karate, little karate, you jumped up and let out this key eye. Well, uh, the result was, and I don't know, I, I doubt it was intentional. I mean, you were just in the zone, but the result was there were two missed starts or false starts by the other competitors in the race. And with both of those false starts, you didn't even flinch a muscle. No. Yeah, there's something really neat when you are in, in your, in your, not only zone, but um, at that, the race you're talking about was the, when I won the, Olympic trials and against Olympic hurdlers. And I was a heptathlete after doing a heptathlon a couple of days before. And I, it was a bit of a surreal experience where I was in the zone, but I could play within it. And it's not always like that. Sometimes you're in the zone and you get the competition, you get the performance and then you just kind of like made it through. Right. This time I felt like I could play being in the zone. So I was aware of the people around me and I was like, this girl is not going to do well. And I was almost like anticipating a false start. Like I knew that things were off and I knew that I had this amazing bubble that extended out. I was protected within it, but it was extending out and affecting the other athletes because the other athletes didn't have their bubbles protecting them. Right. You can call that zone. You can call that energy. Um, for me, it just felt like my bubble was out, but I wasn't being affected by other people's energy. So it was a really fun, that's like such a fun race. And I won. I got a personal best. And I made it to the Olympics in the 100 meter. And I made it into the finals in the 100 meter. So once you get really good at the zone, you realize that you don't need to, like, um, hold on to it for dear life like it's going to go again. Like, the more comfortable you get with playing with it in even day-to-day -day life, 
the more you realize that you can tap into it without the trying, without the effort. That's the whole point. <laughs> it's without the efforting. So you, um, you had to come back after having a daughter. Mm-hmm. It was um, probably uh, a lot of women listening to this this podcast are, you know, career athletes and, and they're thinking ahead, thinking of families. How did you work that into being a professional, really? Yeah, I had to add another hat to my roles, which was mother. And what ended up happening is it was um, it almost happened, first of all, by survival, just in trying to maintain my energy between motherhood and training. I took time to get back to training. um, But when I went to the track, I was the track athlete. I wasn't even like the mother coming back from a baby track athlete. Like it showed in my <laughs> in my training when I couldn't even do two push-ups the first day I was back. But I I because I had the experience of being a high-level athlete, I wanted to remember and tap into that as to accelerate my progress. So when I was there, I was the athlete and I it came back quick because I remembered. Um, and then when I went home. I focused on my daughter and focused on being the mother and left the track behind. Now, in the past, I usually would take the track home with me, overanalyze, overdoubt myself, overthink things. It was more draining in the end. And in this way, my coach commented, he's like, I've never seen you so focused in practice before. And for me, I'm just like, oh, but I need to focus on track all the time. I'm not doing as much as I can. But it wasn't like that. It was me being able to shut it off and turn it on actually improved my training and got me back to I, I was winning a silver medal a silver medal at the Commonwealth Games a year later so I remember talking to you about that time and and you were um heading off to a, a the nationals and you were still at the house and and suggesting that you know you're getting too emotional that you know I was looking at it from maybe from a man's eyes and saying you know get the heck out of there go get, get a hotel which you you said, okay, but never did. Um, how did you make that transition? Especially that this was a local event. I mean, you might be going halfway around the world to an event yeah. and leaving your daughter. I actually did get a hotel. That was for the Olympic trials in Calgary. Yeah. And I got a hotel and it was the best advice I ever got. <laughs> like she was a baby still. Like she was three and under when I was going back to Olympics. So when she cries for me or calls for me, I get that sense of like, uh, instinct to nurture. So um, she was there watching from the sidelines, but even so I was able to, once I'm in my zone, once I'm competing, I'm in Jessica athlete mode. So it was very different. But when I'm at home, I don't really want to be in that mode with her. So um, that was the big thing. Um, most of my competitions are overseas. They weren't at home, but that was a very important competition. So yeah, going to a hotel and just focusing on not feeling bad if I can't give her the attention or if I can't be like patient with her. Cause it's very hard to be patient sometimes when you're ready to give it your all on the track. <laughs> so, so let's switch you to coach mode. And, and the initial question really is around self-coaching and, and, and I've worked with a number of people and, and at, at your level, it's it's really interesting that you almost have a strobe for a brain because you can take a, a a single event that most people take for granted it takes a few seconds, but you you can break it down brilliantly and analyze each microsecond. How did you learn to do that? And and 
you know, what does that give you? Like I know some coaches who haven't even done track and field, but they study it and they're very knowledgeable and they, they're very great coaches. But my style of coaching can't be like that because I didn't study the biomechanics. I didn't like I did, but from a visual and kinesthetic way, not from an academic. I, I, I absorbed everything my coach told me, but he always communicated in a way that I understood, which was based on seeing him do it and doing it for myself and getting feedback. So I do the same thing. When I see an athlete, say, go down the long jump runway, I actually go peripheral and I see the flow of it instead of like the, the, what you were talking about, like the like detail of it. I see the peripheral and I actually feel what they're feeling. And if I was them, since I've been there before, how would I change that? Or what, what does that feel like for them so I can help correct it? So um, a lot of athletes... Um, you know, enjoy that perspective because it's based on what, how they are best, how they learn things as well. But on the other hand, some athletes really want the like, well, tell me exactly what you're looking for. I'm like, I'm looking for you to do it again. Just do it again and feel it, feel through it. You tell me what you're feeling, what your experience and what needs to change on your end. So it's not always about do this, do that, do that. Um, it can be, but I think with the self-coaching thing, athletes need, I know when I was a younger athlete, I relied on my coach so much for feedback and it gets you out of the zone. It gets you out of like, understand this body self-awareness in what's going on and problem solving for yourself. So later in my career, my coach and I developed a relationship where he, when he saw me, he knew when to speak and when to not. And when I was working through something and when I heard something from him, I had to internalize it and make it mean something for me. So you're a high-level coach. You're looking at that athlete. You've, you've broken it down. You can feel where they're making mistakes. Um, how do you get other coaches? What would you encourage other coaches to do to learn that kind of basic methodology? My goodness. It's strange because I'm such a newbie as a coach, and I don't feel like I have the credibility to even speak to other coaches I'm learning all the time and I'm making mistakes all the time. Uh, what I do see though, so, so I haven't been really coaching too much in the organizational club system. Um, but I, what I, what I see is, um, you know, to actually, although I'm trying to uh, feel what the athletes feeling, I'm actually really detached from them as well is the combination. I see a lot of coaches really attached to the performances of their athletes and feeling like they need to make them feel good all the time. Oh, you did good. You did good. Or that's okay. It'll come. It'll come. Um, I don't feel the need to encourage them in that way. I'm, I feel like I need to empower them to be able to do make mistakes and, um, and recover from them feeling better, not worse, or relying on me to feel better, not relying on me to feel better. So I would suggest to coaches to allow their athletes to make mistakes, give them more space in the training period to figure things out, to ask you questions instead of you telling them answers all the time or asking them better questions for them to think for themselves. Um, and yeah, and if they're feeling down, you don't need to feel down with them. <laughs> you don't need to make them feel better. That's okay. That's part of the process. So you, so you have this ability to break down their technique, but you also have a, a kind of a natural way of building rapport with your athletes that I've been very impressed by. And you told me a story about going into a school that 
where they weren't high performance athletes and boy you you had to scale back your your program but you did it amazingly yeah that was an amazing experience for me as a coach especially early on because i realized that um, coaching is more than just giving technical advice and trying to get athletes to do things properly and i ended up working in the phys ed with a phys ed teacher in the gym classes i was there to um um, integrate a track and field program for after school, I ended up in the gym with people who did not want to be in phys ed class. <laughs> and where the actually where the teacher also allowed them not to participate. And so I came in and my only goal was to get everyone to participate and to, to um, again, like allow them to feel things out through rhythm, through posture, through um, connecting with their bodies in a safe place and it's just down to the fundamentals. Okay, let's start with our posture. How are we gonna like show up today? And then our breathing. And then let's find a little skipping, like skipping rhythm, skipping rhythm. And then increase that speed, increase the coordination. And in the end, the basically all I was trying to do was getting them into flow, getting them into some, mirroring my zone and having them move. And it was amazing results. And I got their buy-in and I didn't know what I did, but it was definitely, it came from my experience of like, I have no idea what I had planned is not going to work out. The best thing I can do is get into my zone and also feel what they're feeling and respond to that in a positive way, not go down with them, <laughs> not feel like I don't want to be here either. No, I am here and I want to bring them up to my level. So amongst that, that kind of skill and other skills that you've learned, is there any takeaway from the work we've done together? Yeah. The biggest takeaway is the work that we've done together is so much more than performance. It's performance in sport, but it's performance in life. Um, I think a lot of us experience our, our best selves or when we feel at our best in sport when we're athletes and we love something and we're seeing improvement and we know that feeling that will make you a high performer in anything you do, including school, including academics, right? Including being a parent, or a, a daughter or a son. Uh, there's so much you can do to create a better environment to thrive in. And you don't need to wait until you're at the track trying to get feedback from your coach and tell, waiting for them to tell you if you're doing good or bad. <laughs> To, to that effect, do you, um, do you have any advice for coaches that are trying to make a difference in the lives of young athletes like you did at that school? Yeah. My advice would be uh, go outside of your box and keep learning, Le learning different tools and be, you know, the sporting world is shifting, I'm telling you, and um, it's going towards more than just physical. So working on the um, how you present yourself, how you talk to your athletes, how you communicate, how you show up, and the words you use, the messaging you give, and um, the tactics that are more than physical. Athletes don't get that anywhere else unless they seek it on their own. And I think everyone should have access to how to perform in training, practicing training, so they don't show up the competition crossing their fingers that some magic is going to happen. The coach needs to like bring that all in in training. It's called planning. Intention. Intention. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I'm a, an organization. I don't have track athletes. I have a hockey team. I have a soccer team. I, what might be the benefits of bringing someone you, like you into that realm? Okay. I think I should approach this by the angle of um, nowadays athletes get so sports specific because the organizations really do demand a lot for competitive athletes, their time, their energy, and it all goes to, um, it all goes to competitions, to winning titles and all that good stuff because let's face it, athletes need to stay engaged in the sport. And if they did fundamental work all the time, they would not be engaged and they would not make it through to the next year in sport. So bringing someone in, like, say, you know, I have, I have sport Excel training. I'm technically certified. <laughs> and very well certified. <laughs> it's not about hard work. Those days are over. It's not about repetition and hard work. If you're not doing it in the state, the performance state, you, the ideal performance state for the athlete, then all you're doing is reinforcing mediocre performances in training. So you can do that for two hours in training all you want. You'll get the same result. So bring someone fresh in and kind of give them that perspective and that person, that coach, be able to hold the zone for them so they can really see what it feels like and they can mirror it, you know, make it easier for them to kind of pick it up at first. And then doing some basic things that they can start implementing it and then they can see the results they will get. So it's less technical, less sport specific and more how do we apply these tools to training, to our daily habits, to our daily mindset. Like so it becomes our default state. That's what we're looking for. Cool. So right now we're, we're going to a crisis, going through a crisis that won't be here forever. But there are a lot of athletes that are, you know, confined in four walls, what would your advice be to them in terms of, uh, you know, getting through this and, and putting in some training within those four walls? Um, I actually, I don't like, we have a global issue going on. I don't at the, at the athlete level, I don't think it's a crisis. I think it's the best thing that can happen to them right now. You know, I came in <laughs> and I mean that sincerely. Um, I came into the track club only recently and um, they just finished their indoor season and I'm looking at the athletes thinking if they go into outdoor season like this, they're going to injure themselves. They need some real hardcore, like hard core fundamental training to get the basic fitness level up. And right now, because, you know, again, like athletes want the quick one, the easy one to stay motivated. This is the time to use other things for motivation. This is the time to commit to the longer process, to the bigger picture, knowing that with pure excitement, if you do the work now, you will be in the better position than you'd ever be if you had a competitive season, this outdoor season. You'll just be doing the same things, the same patterns, the same results, but if you really commit to this, like we have time. If you commit to it without the ideal conditions of needing to be in your spikes on a track with a coach, and you see results, like that's confidence building right there. On that note, I think we're going to thank you for this this uh, interview. <laughs> I, I am motivated. I'm psyched by that. That I think that uh, last little speech of yours is going to show up on YouTube as a the motiva the motivational piece of the nice of the decade. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. 
And thank you for all the work you do for athletes. And this is the time, this is the time to do the work. And this is the real work right here, right now, not in your sports specific environment. Love it. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. (laughs) Bye, Jessica. Bye. This episode of Zone Talk by Sport Excel has ended. But be sure to subscribe and be sure to rate and review us so that we can continue to bring you the best zone and high performance content. See you on the next episode.